So this one's fun. You know, we we continue to to bring the amazing stories of these orthopedic surgeons from around the world, and Nancy Ann Shipley is one of those. Uh, she is incredibly passionate about all things in her life. Uh, her work-life balance is amazing. She provides us some really good counsel on how to do that. Uh, what I sense best about Nancy is that she's, you know, an uh, incredible intellect and she's a great orthopedic surgeon. She also likes to have fun and she enjoys all aspects of her life. She has this really cool podcast called the 6% podcast, uh, which is definitely worth a listen, uh, where she talks to, uh, uh, women in male dominated occupations and really gets amazing stories about air force pilots and CEOs and directors. And I think that's actually absolutely worthwhile to listen to as well. Her brand is unique. Uh, she has a great story. We had fun. I know you're going to like it. I am really excited. We're taking a little pivot here at the Ortho Show, and we're bringing you now Pitch Pro. We have an amazing group of panelists. Think of it sort of like a shark tank for orthopedics. Joe Mullings, Vin Dasa, The Fro, and the bearded one, Matthew Ray Scott, on a panel where medical device and pharma companies come in to pitch their story. We listen, we talk, we provide advice, and it is a hoot. We have amazing personalities. We provide amazing counsel and advice uh, to these groups. We are having a lot of fun. You guys are going to love it. Pitch Pro by The Ortho Show. From Medical Media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid-sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast, where yes, we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. We are super excited to have Dr. Nancy Yen Shipley, who's an orthopedic surgeon that specializes in sports medicine, who's in private practice in Portland, Oregon. And she's a, a Southern California girl who bounced back and forth across the country. And I'm really excited because she's funny, she's intellectual, she's got her own podcast, she's got a very cool gig, and we're so happy to have you on, Nancy. Thank you so much. That was one heck of an introduction. Well, only the best of the best. Here she is. She's got her fancy <laughs> microphone and her headphones. She's a podcast professional. What's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. We always like, you know, it's funny. A lot of these podcasts can get kind of boring and they're technical and they talk about stuff. But really what we like to do here is is just talk about the unique stories of the individuals that are so fascinating in our world. And and so we always like to really start from the beginning. So you're a Southern California girl. You're growing up down in, in Los Angeles. Where are we growing up? So uh, greater Los Angeles. I grew up in Hacienda Heights. No one ever has heard of it, but it's basically part of the large conglomerate that is sprawling L.A. I had a, a pretty idyllic childhood. Um, I grew up in a suburban area. We had maybe half an acre, which is unusual now for L.A., uh, and uh, grew up digging holes and skinning my knees in our backyard with a eucalyptus grove and a bit, you know, I dug booby traps to make my little brother fall in and uh, was building obstacle courses back there. So definitely enjoyed getting my hands dirty back then. 
Awesome. A real tomboy there back in the day, running around with your brother getting dirty. I'm sure your parents love that. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. So you stick around, right? You go to UCLA for undergrad. That must have been a lot of fun. What a great school. What a great location. Mm-hmm. It was it was a lot of fun. It was a little too much fun. Uh, I did not. I, I'm, I'm a non-traditional uh, medical student because I did not go directly into medical school as a result of the very fun experience I had at UCLA. Don't regret well, it for a second. Well, do, do tell. Do tell. <laughs> you don't just give us, the, you know, the good parts. Nothing crazy. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, you know, I think I I I came in thinking, okay, I'm gonna be a pre-med because, and this is gonna sound totally stereotypical, but I think I'm allowed to say it because I'm an Asian, I have Asian American parents, and they're like, you will be a doctor. And I said, okay, sounds good. And as I showed up to my first class, I was weeded out of the pre-med track very quickly. There were 600 people in that first biology class. And, you know, and I kind of questioned what were my motivations for wanting to be a pre-med. Was it because I actually wanted to become a physician or was I just going along with the flow and doing what was expected of me? So I ended up a psych major. Uh, I didn't really know what exactly I wanted to do when I grew up. I knew I kind of didn't want to grow up. And so I ended up graduating with a 2.99999, which is definitely not med school material. And I also was weeded out of the track. So it was a, it was kind of not on the table anyway. Um, but I ended up doing a myriad of different things after college. And as a result of that, I ended up coming back full circle and realizing I actually really did like the science. I really did like the idea of practicing medicine. So as a non-traditional student, I did all my post-bac requirements while I was working full-time, took the MCAT, did well, and then got into med school six years after. Yes, that is what our research shows exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You you took away my sale. I was going to sit there and say, well, what happened to those six years? But, you know, that's what it takes. I mean, not everybody goes directly from, you know, high school on in. A lot of people like to find their way and then... Once you do that, you have real life experience, then then you get really not just because mom and dad told you to do it because you really feel like it's a calling. Uh, and then you go back and, and, and that's where you go. So you decide you're just going to go not only going to go to medical school, but you're going to leave idyllic Southern California and travel all the way across the country to Philadelphia. Yes. And, you know, I definitely will say that was uh, initially a little bit of a culture shock. I had never lived anywhere else. Um, Well, I take that back. In my first three months of life, I lived in Freehold, New Jersey. I have no recollection of it, clearly. Uh, But I grew up in Southern California. and uh, But I knew I wanted to go to school and I knew I would have to leave most likely to go to school. Um, I actually ended up in Philly getting off of the wait list for or uh, it was MCP Hahnemann at that time, now called Drexel. Um, but I was in at Medical College of Ohio. So you can imagine that also would have been a shock going to Toledo from L.A. <laughs> when I got when I got into uh, Drexel, I was really excited. I was thinking, OK, this is going to be a great experience. It'll be, a, you know, something different from what I know, but I was also a little bit excited to be in a little bit larger city as well. It's funny, a dear friend of mine, Rami, um, Rami Modaber, who's a hand surgeon down in Santa Monica, similar story, he grew up in California and then went did his uh, 
his medical school at Jefferson in Philadelphia and, mm-hmm. and stuck around. So, I, you know, it's great to be able to sort of see different aspects of the world and really be able to, you know, granted from Philadelphia, you better be careful if you're like an Eagles fan. You got to make sure that you're not wearing clothes from the other team <laughs> and all that other stuff. But they get great kitty steaks. There's a lot of good stuff going on in Philadelphia. Yeah, definitely. And I and and this is not meant at all to knock Ohio. I'm sure I would have had a great time in Toledo. But, you know, just just a big change, I think, coming from Southern California. Yeah, we like Toledo, Ohio, too. We want everybody to be happier. <laughs> than us, that's for sure. All right. So then you stay. You're like, OK, oh, well, before we get there. Right. There's got to be a certain point. I want to know the story of why orthopedics. Right. So you finally decide you're going to get a, go to medical school. And was this like, you know, I'm just going to do this from like high school or was like you really wanted to figure it out once you got in and then something happened that really helped you make the choice? So I had an interesting six years between undergrad and medical school. And that's the backstory for for how I ended up where I ended up. I didn't know what I wanted to do after I graduated. And so I worked clearly very related to the medical uh, field in the snowboarding industry doing uh, sales and marketing. And so I did that for a little while. I then got recruited to work for a family business. And my stepdad actually does Chinese medicine and Qigong and traveled around and did seminars. So I ended up working for him uh, in a number of different capacities, just running a small business, organizing conferences and events and um, helping him with a little bit of translation. And so during that time, I actually learned a lot about complementary medicine. I even did a little bit of coursework in acupuncture, although I never practiced acupuncture. And it was really interesting to see that side of things. And I have a great appreciation for it. Um, In the course of working for him, I also encountered other physicians who were interested in both sides of medicine. Both are allopathic medicine and complementary medicine. And it was through that exposure that inspired me to think about medicine again realizing that, uh, you know, you really can't just uh, think about the complementary in exclusion of our allopathic medicine. And, and actually, com- the conversely is true, too. Um, you know, I do think that there is still a role for holistic medicine. And so that that prompted me to apply for medical school. And because I came from that angle, I thought, okay, well, you know, I think I want to go into primary care, maybe family medicine, which is so far from what we do now. Um, It was a big turnaround. And I think that happened um, at the end of my first year after medical school. Um, I got to shadow a family friend. Um, there were no, we didn't have any doctors in my family, but, um, we, we knew an orthopedic surgeon and he said, Hey, why don't you come out for a couple of weeks and, um, hang out with me in the OR and in the clinic. And that was what made me go, Whoa, what is this black magic? (laughs) And, uh, he was, he was an adult reconstruction surgeon. And so even though I didn't end up in adult recon, um, I got to see kind of the magic of how you could do something maximally invasive, right? So I'd like watching him do total knees, total hips, and especially with the total hips, seeing him like, you know, fillet a guy open, uh, you know, cut out, cut out the joint, put in metal and plastic, and then see, actually, I think the important part is actually see the guy walk in um, the next week. 
uh, in clinic was what really made me go, oh, wow. And, and it was, it was a, a very pivotal point for me. Um, I went into medical school. I didn't even know what orthopedics was. I had no idea. Uh, so seeing this and uh, just seeing how the human body can bounce back from being whacked open and also just the restoration of function was my turning point. And I had it on my radar then for the rest of the time until I got to actually rotate through orthopedics as a third year. And then uh, and then it was a done deal. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, if you go into primary care and, and you put people on medication for hypertension or, or cholesterol and you prevent a stroke or a heart attack 20 years later, it's not like they call you back and say, hey, doc, I really thank you for doing that. But within orthopedics, it's like it's such a demonstrable difference that we make in people's lives. We're immediate healers. We take these patients, as you said, who have these really painful conditions. We do these wackadoodle things in there in the operating room, <laughs> and then they can literally come out. And now it's like for a total knee replacement, they walk out of the surgery center three hours after they had their yeah. knee. Talk about you know a real impact of what, how that's such a, an amazing responsibility to be able to help heal these patients. So I think right. most of us who are orthopedic surgeons have, have really been drawn to that. That was a great description, you know, for sure. So finally, so you, so you see the light see and you're light. like, okay, right. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to be a surgeon. I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, so you decide you get into your residency, you do a sports medicine fellowship. And I want to push into something which I don't usually do. And I'm, and I'm, I'm picking you in particular to be the one time I've actually asked the question. And more often than not, I don't look at orthopedic surgeons for their gender. I just look at them for their story and their history and the remarkable things that they've done. But I think you do have a passion for, for describing what I would describe or maybe perhaps the unique challenges as a woman in orthopedic training and perhaps even in, in profession. So we, I'd really like you to delve into that and give us a feedback because I know some of the stories are fun. Maybe mm -hmm. some aren't, but it'd be really nice to hear. Yeah. You know, um, when I decided as a medical student to uh, apply for orthopedics, I you know, and maybe it was just naivete on my part when I was rotating through, um, for the most part as a student, I had a really good experience. And, um, you know, one of the surgeons that I worked with, you know, asked me, hey, have you ever, you know, helped your dad at home build something and use power drill? And, and I said, well, yeah. And, and so he hands me the drill and I helped him with an RIF of the, I think it was an ankle. And, um, and I was like, this is amazing. And, uh, you know, and I think it was really, um, really important that to me that he handed me the drill and gave me that hands-on experience. And, you know, it wasn't until it was like I was having so much fun. It wasn't until somebody actually made a comment to me um, about not seeing a lot of women in orthopedics or questioning whether women are strong enough to do orthopedics that I kind of like looked up and went, oh, <laughs> I'm the only girl in here. <laughs> like, I mean, I was, I was somewhat oblivious. And, and so, you know, it, it, it was a little bit surprising to me when uh, people would say, Oh, what are you going to, what are you going to apply for? What are you going to specialize in? And I'd say, Oh, orth orthopedics is very matter of fact about it. And I would get comments, you know, uh, like, like, you know, women aren't strong enough or, or, you know, you can't be a surgeon and be a good mom. And uh, you'll never find a husband who wants to marry an orthopedic surgeon, you know, and just a myriad of comments, which fortunately, 
I was so, so passionate about pursuing that residency that I kind of just, it made me work harder for it because, you know, it made me want to prove the naysayer, naysayers wrong. Um, as, as I got further along, I, I did have a very, very good experience in my residency. I went to VCU in Richmond, Virginia. And I did not feel like I was treated differently. So I don't, I don't feel like I was ever bullied. I felt like I got the same exposure as my peers. Um, you know, and there were definitely, there are definitely things about, I think, surgical residency in general, not just our field orthopedics, where there is a little bit of a locker room mentality and, and there's more of a jovial, you know, joking around in the OR that you don't necessarily see in, say, like internal medicine or, you know, being on the wards with um, the internists. And, and I like that. Um, I more recently became much more, you know, in practice, I became much more aware as I started to network with other orthopedic surgeons and specifically other women orthopedic surgeons that um, not everyone had a really good experience like I did. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been fairly fortunate in private practice too. So as I've gotten more established both in practice and also gotten more in the online space on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and just uh, getting on social media uh, publicly, um, I have realized that there is a place for being vocal about the inequities that actually occur. And hearing about the some of the stories of my peers, um, that sound like, oh, that must have happened 30 years ago. No, this is now in training that, that ridiculous things are still happening has made me really um, be so much more passionate about speaking up about that um, and led to my involvement in a platform called Speak Up Ortho, um, in which the platform shares anonymous stories, not only of bias and inequity, not just purely towards women, but generally, uh, you know, bullying in general, um, but also shares positive stories of where really good efforts have been made to make this an equitable place uh, for anyone to practice and thrive in orthopedics. Yeah, no, and we appreciate that. It's funny how you mentioned in your training in my program at the Tufts program, you know, 25 years ago, Michael Goldberg, our chairman, it was every year we had at least two women That's awesome. uh, out of the seven. <laughs> and it was basically, it was just a decision. That's what we were going to do. And, and everybody was inclusive. And, you know, I, to this day have amazing people that I trained with that uh, I think very, very kindly of. So it's nice to, to sort of hear and share that. But I think that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, the diversity issue that we also see. And I know that there's a lot of work that the American Academy where the peak surgery is doing yep. to really have voices, to let people know that we want, you know, all different types of uh, orthopedic surgeons to be out there. What are you, what are you doing with the Academy right now? I know you have some pretty cool roles there. I saw, I was doing a little bit of research. Why don't you tell the listeners? So um, I'm uh, on the panel of uh, individuals who represent uh, AOSPR. So uh, if anyone wants to interview somebody about uh, orthopedics uh, from the media, I'm, I'm also part of that, that list. Um, but for the past two years, I had been on the social media 
uh, committee um, as a representative. I stepped off uh, recently because I finished my cycle. Um, and that's been really exciting. Uh, actually, it was called the Social Media Task Force. I'm not calling it by the right thing. But uh, as a representative there, it was something new that they were doing uh, to help bring a more visibility to the Academy via social media channels and to highlight different things that the Academy is doing using social media instead of your usual, you know, uh, newsletter and magazine routes. Because we, you know, I think the Academy has realized that they got to move along with the times and get online and and have a good presence there. So that's been really just a fun experience for me and an opportunity for me being in private practice to um, use one of my skill sets and one of my strengths to contribute to the academy. It's been great. Yeah, no, that was a great ambassador program. We've had a, a few of you uh, on the show and it's just, uh, I think that social media, it's not natural for everyone. And a lot of the doctors that that we talk to are still sort of, you know, a little old school. They just hang up their shingle and they sit back and wait. But I think that you know, our listeners, their people are savvy now. You know, they want to know what they want to know about you, and being able to message about yourself really allows the patients to know who you are and how you do things. So we'll get we'll cycle back to the social media thing a little bit, but I want to talk about. Let's go back a year or so, and you and I sounds like we were kind of in the same boat, right? So here we are. You know, we're kicking ass. We're doing a great job. We're healers. We're really important <laughs> people. Then all of a sudden, the global pandemic hits, mm. and the world did not need sports medicine orthopedic surgeons, right? We were absolutely put on the sideline. You know, our our colleagues were out there in the trenches doing their things, but they did not need us. And so uh, you and I had a very similar path in that regard, and that's when I got hooked up with the Ortho Show podcast. And you decided to start your own podcast, which is, I think, pretty cool. And I, I want to talk a little bit about that as we move on next. Now, I, uh, it's a, sort of a similar theme as we've been talking about. It's called the, I'll tell you a funny story, though. It's called the 6% Podcast. So I was like, oh, I got to get Dancy on. I'm loving her. What she's doing. <laughs> really cool stuff. And I'm like, I go to Heather. I'm like, Heather, our producer. I'm like, Heather, I really want to do a home and away podcast with Nancy. And so she's like, oh, I'm not so sure you could do that. And I said, well, why? And she's like, you better go look at the podcast. <laughs> It's like, it's the, it's really about women and the 6% of women. I'm like, well, I've got really good hair. I could be like the 6% <laughs> of the hair for orthopedics, but I might have a hard time pulling off of a woman. But, uh, so no. So tell us about 6%. I think it's a great story. Thank you. You have some really cool stuff you're doing there. Yeah, thanks. So the, the name of the podcast is inspired by the current percentage of women practicing in orthopedics. And even though I talk to women in all different industries, in which are male-dominated, um, I thought it was just kind of had a good ring to it. To it uh, represented, you know, my field, and so that's that's how I came up with the name Six Percent with Dancy MD. Um, I first thought of the concept way, way, way before there were even podcasts. Um, I I think I was a resident at the time, and I was going through an airport, and I saw a female commercial uh, captain pilot, and I was thinking, oh, huh don't see too many of those. Uh, how cool would it be to sit down and actually have a coffee with her? Um, not a glass of wine because she's about to fly a plane, but have a cup of coffee and um, just pick her brain um, and just say, hey, you know, what was it like for you being in the minority, going through your your flight training and and rising through the ranks in commercial airlines? And, and I was thinking, hmm, that would be cool. And it wasn't until um, really 
recently, um, I guess our sense of time is so warped, but I guess I started thinking about it a lot more in, in uh, late 2019, the concept of a podcast, because I had started to listen to podcasts by then, uh, of uh, conversations between women in male-dominated industries. And so I, I got, I love using Trello as a project management board online. And so I started just using that as um, a virtual whiteboard and started brainstorming, thinking of women that would be so cool to talk to and kind of different, not even specific women, but just different industries where I would love to, to pick their brain. And so um I sat on it for a while. I was afraid to take the leap because I've just, I don't know anything about podcasting. I've never done anything like that before. But the more, you know, it's one of those things where you, you try to put it aside and it just keeps coming back and nagging at you. And that's when you know you got to do it, right? And so um, I had started to really do a lot of research, like, what? how do you do a podcast? How do you get what you make out there? How, what kind of microphone do you get? What do I actually need as far as equipment? Gathered all that information. And then um, when the pandemic hit, when lockdown happened in, in March, all of a sudden, I'm like, uh... All my can all my surgeries got canceled. My clinic is kind of slowed down to a, a crawl with emergencies only. And so after I I wallowed in my like self pity for two weeks, I kind of snapped out of it and I said, I Let's just need <laughs> I just need to do this. You know what? <laughs> you know I realized that I had all this time, but also. Everybody else that I wanted to interview all of a sudden had all this time. You know, CEOs that would normally be jet setting everywhere now are stuck at home and have time on their hands to do an interview, whereas before they wouldn't. Major League Baseball was on hold. So I was able to talk to the first full time Major League Baseball coach that was a woman. And, you know, filmmaking was on hold. So I got to talk some film to some film producers. Um, and I got to talk to an Air Force fighter pilot. That was that was really, really cool. So you know, I got a lot of guests in a short amount of time and got to carry out these interviews while everybody was stuck at home anyway, you know, and I did everything on Zoom. And and in June of last year, I'm coming up on almost one year, uh, I launched a podcast. And so now I am into season three. I just launched actually earlier this week on Monday. So that's online um, at, you know, everywhere you can find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. Um, so it's it's just been this amazing, as you know, rewarding addition to my day-to-day, -day, in addition to the clinical work that I do, in addition to being a mom and a wife and, you know, all my other hobbies, um, it's it, it's been a real privilege to be able to talk to these phenomenal women that I normally would not be able to cross paths with. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I, I completely share your sentiments as far as being able to communicate with these really impressive, remarkable people uh, and allowing them to to be able to share their stories, and so I think we have a lot of a lot in common there. And it's a great podcast, and Thank I am you. sure you just just gobbled up all the Ortho Show listeners too. <laughs> Everybody's going to absolutely have to take part in that for sure. I love it. Um, all right, so so you know, let's talk about your brand because I I, I love that. I mean, we. Uh, 
many, many doctors don't recognize the fact that you can have that. You say, yeah, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, you know, knees and shoulders left and right. That's what I do. But at the end of the day, we're all very unique individuals. And I love some of your, your taglines and I'm going to bring them up. All right. I'm going, we're going big because you went big the first time. All right. Renaissance, Renaissance woman. I love it. Surgeon. Uh, also, there was a call me maybe doctor. Uh, speaker, podcaster, mom, you know, wife, you have a lot of things that that bring around. So if you could describe your personal brand within the world about how you like to express yourself, what would it be? Well, you know, I think that that personal branding is is so important. Um, and like you said, even for us orthopedic surgeons, you know, we we need to be, I think we need to bring to the public a little bit more than what we do mechanically. Um, and I think that uh, from a clinical perspective, it helps the patient uh, just feel a little bit more comfortable and have a better grasp of what they're walking into when when they look you up online. And it's not just like, oh, I do X, Y, and Z surgery. Um, it gives you a sense of who the surgeon is. And, you know, and I, I going into um, building my website and just kind of uh, building on my personal brand, I struggled a lot in the beginning as to what what it should be, um, what it should include. And I, I learned in the process of doing that, that, you know, there are parts of me personally that, you know, I, I don't think need to be separate from my occupation. And just, just like my, my work as an orthopedic surgeon is so much a part of my identity, these other parts are as well. And so, you know, I feel like my brand encompasses all those different pieces and brings them all together. And I, I've become less, less shy or embarrassed about you know, talking about just some of the some of the things that happen to us moms and and uh, that we experience going through motherhood and and kind of the whole work life balance or the misnomer of work life balance. I think those are all things that um, are worth mentioning and um, and mixing that in, of course, with the clinical piece of it, the the doctoring and the humanism piece of it. Um, I think all of those things encompass what you know my brand is. Yeah, I mean that that's fantastic. And so, I want, as we're getting ready to leave, I want to ask you a question and sort of give some advice. And I think it's actually gender neutral advice, and that is work life balance. How do you find the ability to be a super mom, a super wife, look beautiful, be rugged in the operating room, do be a be an orthopedic surgeon, do all of those things, and try to do them well? What would your advice be to our listeners? I think what's important is to identify your core values, not just for work, not just for family, but, you know, what what are the core values that are important to you? And when you really have a good sense of that, then you can look at all the things that you might have your hands in, right, and all the different roles that you play, and you can assess how they measure up according to how many of your core values they're actually supporting. Um, and so, you know, for me, the, the things that take up a lot of my time include my clinical work, my family, um, keeping myself healthy and some of my recreational things, obviously the podcast. Um, and so, you know, I try to include the, you know, the things I juggle and the things that I, I take time doing, I make sure that they 
are things that support what my core values are. Because at the end of the day, you can find yourself really with a lot of different obligations that really don't check those check boxes. And so then it's like, well, well, why? <laughs> you know, why continue doing that? Because there's a finite amount of time in the day. We have a finite amount of time on this planet. And we should spend the time doing things that reflect what our values are and who we really are. And so, you know, it does take it does take a lot of planning and organization to make all those things fit together. Um, and it takes prioritization and also being present. But I think ultimately, think about those values and it helps guide you in in what you should be focusing on. So I think as as we're leaving, if anybody wants to really know, you know, what Nancy Yen Shipley is, I would suggest you look at the video of her getting ready to go get her vaccine. <laughs> where is that? Is that on Instagram? Is it on Facebook? I, I have that uh, on my website at nancymd.com, but it's also on, on my TikTok, which is purely a repository for all my silliness energy that I need to get out. There is no medical advice there whatsoever. <laughs> um, no, but, but it's super fun. It's a great video. I want everybody to watch it because I really think it sums up Nancy super well. But you know, this is exactly what we do here on the Ortho Show. We bring these remarkable orthopedic surgeons from around the world who tell their very unique stories. I think, Nancy, I love your energy. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much for sharing all the things that you're doing within your work-life balance and your podcast. And as an orthopedic healer, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, Dr. Scott Sigmund. Hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time. Thank you.